It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, welcome to episode 40 of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H. And unlike some episodes I could mention, this one is definitely not a throwaway. That's right, it's the big 4-0 for the food cast. You know, they say life begins at 40. And psychiatrist Carl Jung confirmed this by saying, life really does begin at 40. Until then, you're just doing research. So remember how unprofessional and immature episodes 0 through 39 sounded? That was just research. In this episode of the Foodcast, we meet three people who have a long way to go before they reach 40. But they are doing their research, and when you hear about it, you'll be uplifted. And yes, their research is relevant to food. I'm going to go out on a limb here. When people pick the food they're going to eat, they usually choose something they want at the moment and that they like. Do I have an excellent handle on the obvious or what? Sometimes people choose something other than what they want at the moment or that they don't like. And there's a finite number of factors that may cause people to eat contrary to their desires. Those are cost, availability, social pressures, health reasons, humane reasons, or sustainability reasons. And maybe there's a few more, but I think those are the main ones. My guests today are focused on that last factor, sustainability. They recognize that the world of food is a system, and you can't turn one knob in the giant food system machine without adjusting the others. Their focus is on the sustainability knob, specifically reducing waste. But they have their eyes on the other knobs as well. You guys are going to be so encouraged when you hear what they have to say, and how they say it. But first, to establish some context, rant. While the KarmaSense media empire welcomes all points of view and doesn't expect everyone to be a granola-munching, Captain Planet-watching, hippie-crit like me, the foodcast demographics imply that you and the audience skew towards concern about the environment. And when it comes to our food's impact on the environment, the focus is most often our food's contribution to climate change and landfills. But even if you don't believe in climate change and you're not worried about trash you can't see, there are good economic reasons to promote at least some of the solutions that also happen to reduce carbon emissions and waste. So, for example, you may not care that rolling out vehicles with better gas mileage means fewer greenhouse gas emissions, but you may like that reducing pollution from vehicles reduces your chance of getting cancer. Now, Many of us who are bicycle-riding, Birkenstock-wearing, Leonardo DiCaprio wannabes like to look closely at the environmental footprint of the food we eat. And perhaps the poster child for bad food behavior is the cow. We all know that beef and dairy cows produce more greenhouse gases than any other food. The documentary film Cowspiracy dramatized this, and organizations like the Natural Resource Defense Council, or NRDC, with their list of the top 10 climate-damaging foods, based on 
kilograms of carbon dioxide per kilogram of food. That list, in order, is beef, lamb, butter, shellfish, cheese, asparagus, pork, chicken, and turkey. And of the top five, cows produce the beef, butter, and cheese, with the occasional cheese contribution from sheep, goats, and whatever Kraft American Singles and Cheese Whiz comes from. Of course, it's statistics like this that give us hay-chewing green necks a bad name. Because if you instead sort this based on food's calorie count, asparagus shoots way, I mean way to the top. It's six times worse than beef. And really, calories and other nutrition contributions are a fair representation than just kilograms, weight. Because you could live a long time eating nothing but beef, but that's not true with asparagus. And I'm not telling you this to try and convince you to eat more beef, butter, and cheese and less asparagus. I don't think that. I think quite the opposite. I bring this up because sometimes the people who want you to do the right thing have their own agenda. And that agenda may block their vision of the big picture. And sometimes their motives are more sinister. They don't want you looking at their left hand while they pull the bull out of their hat with the right. By the way, Pulling a bull out of the hat would beat the pants over the one with the rabbit any day. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. <laughs> See? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> Wrong hat. So we've seen that they have the magic of misleading statistics in their other hand. Any other tricks up their sleeve? Yes. As big an impact as the growing of our food has on our environment, it's only one part. Usually, food is processed, packaged, transported, distributed, stored, and prepared. And according to a report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service, agriculture consumes 15% of the energy contributing to greenhouse gases in the food system life cycle. Those other stages I mentioned contribute the rest. And don't get me wrong, 15% is a lot, but 20% is more. And 20% is how much food processing, all the steps the food companies take before they put it in a package, consumes and contributes. Think about it. Whether you're eating chicken McNuggets or tofu McNuggets, a lot of energy went into nuggifying, a word I thought I made up until I found it in the Urban Dictionary. Oops. Anyway, a lot of energy went into processing that chicken and tofu. Avoiding cow's milk? And drinking soy or almond milk instead? You're a polluter. Even with pasteurization and homogenization, it takes a lot fewer resources to process a gallon of cow's milk than it does to process a gallon of almond and soy milk. Of course, these examples are allegorical, and you know me better than that. What does the data say? When you break down which foods contribute the most to the 20% burden, the top 10 are in order, snacks frozen and canned foods, followed by baked goods, soft drinks, alcohol, sugar and sweets, poultry, cereal products, dairy products, beef, and pet food. And if you look solely at the top four, which is mostly chips, candy, bread, cookies, pastries, and soft drinks, including bottled water, and only at those, you're looking at as big a footprint as all of agriculture combined. Maybe farming isn't the only or even main place we should be looking if we want to have the biggest impact on preserving our environment. But wait, there's more. 
because the biggest contributor by far to our diet's contribution to environmental Armageddon is food waste. About a third of the food produced never gets eaten. Here's an incredibly stupid stat for you. If food waste were a country, it would be the third biggest contributor of greenhouse gases behind the U.S. and China. Sorry, Russia. You've been bumped off the podium again. According to the aforementioned NRDC, people eat 80% of the animal products they buy. They toss the remaining 20%. But for fruits and vegetables, half, half the produce we buy gets thrown away, as are 40% of the grain products. Now, earlier we learned that the NRDC plays a little loose with their numbers. There's no reason to suspect that they haven't done the same with that statistic. But that's not even the point of this discussion. In fact, maybe I should get to the point. Food is part of a system. When we aim to make a change, let's say for the sake of being healthier, happier, and... Oh yeah, saving the world? We have to remember that sometimes when we focus on a small part of the problem... We just end up moving the problem somewhere else. It's a game of whack-a-mole. Let's say, for example, that we decide as a society to put short-term interests in front of long-term. We move problems from our immediate purview to future generations. Our guests today are representatives of that future generation. In the scheme of food systems, they're taking a look at a piece of that giant food waste problem. Because according to the EPA, in a document I was able to access prior to their transition to climate change denial mode, food containers contribute an additional 15% to that waste problem. My guests have come up with a clever way to whittle away at that. Let's let them talk about it. I'm pleased to have with me three students from T.C. Williams High School, Go Titans, Lee Rasmussen, Elspeth Collard, and Bridget Williams. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank, yeah, you. thank you. Let's start off with each of you telling a little bit about yourselves. I've been in Delray my entire life. My dad and my mom moved here when they were in their 40s. I have an older brother who went to UVA. I am, I'm actually a twin. I have a twin sister. I went to all the public schools throughout elementary school, middle school, and now high school. So obviously I'm in the STEM Academy. I'm a rising junior right now, so okay. I'm pretty excited for next year. Right. And thank you, Lee. Yeah, so I'm the same way, just born and bred Alexandria, lived here all my life, and same, same as Lee, just rising junior, and been in the STEM Academy and interested in STEM topics for a while now. Even in elementary school, they definitely stood out to me. So this was really a fun project to do since it really struck out in the topics that I was interested in. I also am a sophomore at T.C. Williams High School. I have two older brothers that both graduated from T.C. Williams, and I'm very excited about this project and how it will go. You mentioned STEM, and of course one thing that's very exciting about this project is you are women in a STEM program. Mm -hmm. Some people may not appreciate that in the audience, so what is STEM? So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. So we are in a we call it a STEM program or STEM academy at T.C. Williams High School where it's basically a small group of students, about 100 out of our class of around 900, and we focus on our education around using the design process and other STEM attributes. In the classroom, curriculum is a little bit more challenging. It's more focused on hands-on learning rather than just simple pen and paper. 
Um, we go on a lot of field trips each year, and the teachers are definitely very focused on immersing the kids in a public sphere, you know, like mm -hmm. introducing them to scientists or entrepreneurs, things of that sort of nature. So it's very rewarding in the end. Okay. Do they find a way within the STEM program to integrate some of the non-technical, non-scientific classes as well, English and the humanities? And if so, how do they do that? Right, yeah, we do have a regular English class. In terms of the curriculum and how they kind of immerse us in that, everything is sort of connected. So, like, we're learning something about Rome and history. We're also reading something about from Rome in English. So, I guess there's definitely more focus on science and technology and engineering, obviously. But they definitely prioritize English as well. Yeah, and I would say that we definitely, especially even in the reason that we started doing this group, is we have a STEM X class, which is where we just do it's it's like a 30 minute period where we have time to work on a project that we came up with and so teaching us that outreach and those outreach skills was a big part of that class as well I think so that's kind of where we get immersed into more real life situations where we are applying our English skills and our communication skills as well and you are on a program called the Foodcast. Yeah. Uh, you have a project that's food oriented would you like to talk about it a little bit yeah, so we're the RTC initiative, and we've started out in the Delray community, obviously. And so we initially came up, we had to have a project for the 30-minute period that Bridget was talking about. And so they call this our capstone project. And we're able to work on it every day which in, during that 30-minute period and outside of school. And we have to come up with something that's STEM-oriented because it's a STEM academy. And then we implement the project in our community and just make an impact. And so we were definitely one of the ones who we discussed a lot about what our <laughs> idea would be. There was It took quite some debating. But after a while, we had a ton of ideas. Leila saw a documentary called Plastic Ocean. Yeah, basically it just focuses on the negative consequences that plastic has on our oceans. And after seeing that, I was profoundly impacted. Is that about the desert of plastic debris out mm -hmm. in it the Pacific is, Ocean? It is, dead yep. spot? I think the it's garbage patch. Yes, it's it's all of that. It's actually kind of sad that <laughs> I came out yeah. of there with not so, so great of an outlook on <laughs> the earth, but it was a very humbling experience just to learn so much about it. And that's actually one of the sparks, I guess you could say, of RTC Initiative. We discussed it in class and Mm -hmm. Since it was a year-long project, we really were dreaming big. And since all three of us live in Delray, so we're, we're very familiar with the restaurants in Delray. We love the food in Delray. But yeah, basically, the, we, we, knew that, we knew that this idea would, would, would work because it's such a family-run and oriented kind of place. Yeah. So, yeah. But you introduced an acronym to this. And that's RTC Initiative. So, oh, yes. Yes, okay. that Reusable Takeout Container Initiative. Reusable Takeout Container. So yes. what's the idea behind the Reusable Takeout Container? The Reusable Takeout Container Initiative, or RTC Initiative, works in a way that the three of us or restaurants will sell these plastic containers. And these containers are microwavable safe, dishwasher safe, BPA-free. BPA so th these are all aspects of the container that we really liked. And we will sell them to consumers, and then they can take these containers and use them at any of our participating restaurants, which we have three so far, which are Pork Barrel, 
Los Tios, Los Tios in Takri Bablano, and they will receive a 10% discount for using this container as opposed to a traditional use-once container. And so yeah. it's made to reduce waste in Alexandria. Picture them almost as Tupperware is what I try to tell people, just shaped in as a takeout container because... Yeah. I don't know, I just think that's the best way to picture it. Or almost as a reusable shopping bag, you know, you keep it in the trunk of your car, and Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the idea that we were hoping for. And the idea is that it can be used both to take out as well as for leftovers if uh, you dine at the restaurant. And you uh, were kind enough to give me a sample. Mm -hmm. I was surprised by how sturdy it is. (laughs) People say that. So it's actually interesting, when we were first thinking about what we wanted this project to be, and again, when we were thinking about the plastic waste and everything, we wanted to do something in our school, and so we looked at a lot of kind of lunch trays that were, and that's kind of how we came upon this exact container. We were looking through lunch trays, and we are like, oh, well, what if we did something with kind of a full container, not necessarily in our school, so. What solutions did you research in order to find the one you settled on. Right. So, well, first, in order to get the idea of the container, we, we went to the Alexandria City website and we looked at what they recycled. And we were very surprised that they do not recycle the traditional takeout container. And we looked, we looked, we did some research, and apparently the average person throws away at least 300 a year, which is huge. And so that kind of sparked the idea of, okay, a takeout container, and once we had that, then we just basically did research, you know, in Google, reusable, durable takeout container, mm-hmm. and we got a whole list of restaurant sites or manufacturers that mm-hmm. sell these to restaurants usually, and we we wanted, obviously, we wanted the microwave safe, dishwasher safe, BPA free, and all that kind of thing, so we settled upon this one. Well, it was interesting because actually the original idea for our project was that we would design a container and that would be the container that we would use. And so we looked up a lot of manufacturers that could possibly produce this said container. And that's kind of how we started going into more research about, okay, well, if we didn't produce this because it seems like a lot of people or a lot of manufacturers don't actually do that, what would we look at to find one? And so that's kind of how we shifted into looking up the containers. What about other attempts at doing this? Did you do any kind of research as to whether this was being done by anyone or for any other place? Yeah, I actually did some research and found a couple Kickstarter like campaigns and things that were really successful actually. And But they, they had a slightly different form in that you pay a certain fee for a year's worth of membership in their program. And then at the restaurant, you're able to, they have the containers there, and so you pick it up and you use it and you bring it home, and then you return the container back to the restaurant into like almost a, a collecting bin, and then they then they take the bin and they'll put it in like through an industrial dishwasher and all this, which mm-hmm. is what the membership fee is paying for, mm-hmm. and then the restaurants, then the restaurants use them and and the consumer takes it and then puts it back again. Yeah. So it's a it's a whole cycle, but like a lot of work on the end of the actual program instead yeah. of the consumer having the container like ours is because we didn't think that we could coordinate with the dishwasher and then also having the yearly fee and yeah. we just thought this would work better for the Delray community. And this and way you only have to pay $5 for the right. actual container mm-hmm. and you don't have to pay... Anything else for concerning the container for the rest of the time that you have it? 
And we actually didn't know about this particular, what Elspeth just described, until after we made the program. So at least I, like when we were coming up with this idea, I didn't know that there was anything right. like it. And then we started researching, we are like, oh, there are things yeah. similar to this. So yeah. it was kind of fun to see that other communities were taking on the same role that we were hoping to. And so a big part of the project is to certainly just identify mm-hmm. the container itself. Yeah. Is that the biggest part of the project, though, or is it the whole process and, and discussing with restaurants and figuring out regulatory requirements and that sort of thing? What else did you have to tackle there? It was definitely coordinating yeah. with the restaurants. <laughs> um, that was the meat yeah, of the project. And, you know, we also had to look into health codes around the city. You know, is it actually legal to sell a container and have people reuse it and take it into restaurants in and out? So, obviously, yes. We found out that it was illegal, um, so that was something that we had to tackle. Actually, we called the Alexandria Health Department, and they said it was, in fact, everything that we talked about was either... We come up, came up with a couple ideas of how the program would work, and they said that if the restaurant were to give it to us, and then we would give it back after washing it, that's legal, and same as if the restaurant sells it to the consumer, and they keep that container, is also legal. Right. So everything's legal. How did you actually come up with your financial model? Well, obviously, when we were researching the containers... We were looking for a container that fit all of our needs, but then was also just the cheapest. Because the cheaper the price that people are paying, then the more interested they'll be. We're not doing this for any kind of profit. This is just to benefit our community and really make an environmental impact. So we looked at how much the container was priced and then just rounded it up to the next dollar amount so that we, there was only a couple of like cents of profit. We're selling them at cost. All the money that we are receiving goes into buying more containers. So, again, just selling at cost containers, basically. Right. The second part of the question was about the discount from the restaurant. The big part of that was just the restaurants were saying, okay, what discount do you want to do? And then when we named just a 10% discount, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. just because we were decisive about it, and, we, and that was, that's a fair discount, mm-hmm. I think. It was pretty easily negotiated. We figured that that would be the main incentive, at least for buying the container. But um, when they buy, it's up to the customer to actually use it. Well, probably uh, here in Delray, you have so many environmentally conscious Mm -hmm. people that the discount is just uh, extra. And that the fact that they're helping you out as well as helping out the environment is Mm -hmm. the biggest incentive. That's why we thought it would be be such a good idea to, to work with these restaurants because... Like I said, Delray is such an environmentally aware community. Yeah, and they're, they, they're willing to help. Right. Yeah, for sure. Whenever we tell people that, about the discount, they're like, oh, really? Awesome. <laughs> so it's, like, yeah. it's so fun it's to It's an afterthought. That's yeah. It. yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> Which is good. A, and theoretically, the restaurant should be able to be reducing their costs in it, too. Probably yeah. not at this phase of the project. Mm-hmm. But once you were to get it in the full swing, mm-hmm. hopefully they attracting would be able to, more business. Right, exactly. Exactly. So what's the biggest challenges you faced in putting this project forward? Definitely communicating with restaurants was not in that um, it was mostly just finding the right times and then also just emailing restaurants and going in and the managers not being there and things. So we really had to work that out with talking to people who were there and leaving notes and things and mm-hmm. obviously like they're incredibly busy and we we understood that and so it was just once we got into contact with the people then it was easy to set up a meeting from there or just discuss their participation in the project 
but getting to that point was tricky. The phone tag sometimes is a little (laughs) bit frustrating, but yeah, we We just persisted. And I think that once we kept contacting them and really just didn't give up, then they took us seriously and said that they really did want to do this. And like we are just three high schoolers, you know, from TC, so it's not like yeah, we know how that. It's not like we're like huge business men with briefcases. We really just we did have to make a good first impression, so we really tried hard doing that. So, like Elizabeth Warren, you persisted. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say another challenge is we had to set up a bank account to keep all of our money, Mm -hmm. and whenever we would go back. They'd be like, oh, you actually like need this these bylaws, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> I mean, of course, the bank was very helpful sure. as far as they were helping us like coordinate everything. But sometimes you go, and then they'd be like, oh, you gotta get this now, and I was like, oh, okay, no mind. <laughs> go back and forth. And so, did you actually set up a corporation or yeah, LLC so or something like that? It's um, a business bank account. Um, it's for set up for a nonprofit because we oh, aren't right. receiving any actual funds for us, and so it's yeah. It's all going back into the cycle. That's <laughs> yes. buying more containers. That's a great experience. <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> and let me say, being a businessman does not help you get into these restaurants. I know that from pursuing guests for this podcast. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not because you're high school oh, girls. Yeah. <laughs> it's because they're really busy and, right. yeah. and what we yeah have to show value to them, and that we're not just a distraction. Yeah. Right. What were the initial reactions to the restaurants when you finally did make that connection? Our most positive one was definitely at Taqueria Poblano. Mm -hmm. The moment we walked in there, Jeff, he's insanely dependable, and so he was there almost every time we visited. And so when we first talked to him about it, he was incredibly enthusiastic and was asking for more information. And at that point, even when we were talking to him, we didn't have a a solid container yet Mm -hmm. even. So that was really, really cool to have. He was hopeful and he was supportive. And that was definitely a huge huge part. Was he involved in the selection? Yeah, so we actually went to all the restaurant owners and we said, if you were going to have an ideal container, what would it look like? And I think all of them said the three compartment containers. So after we received that information, then we, again, like what we talked about before, we started looking up more specific container. Yeah. And it wasn't just, you know, us telling them how the program would be or telling them what the container would be. It was really more of kind of like a discussion and what we all kind of agreed on and we really worked together with, with them. And I, and I think definitely Jeff had some really, really good points that we... Well, there's so much to learn from right. from those guys too, mm-hmm. and, they're, right. and they're such an important part of the partnership between exactly. you, the restaurants, <laughs> and the oh, yeah. uh, without their buy-in. So that's definitely a smart way to go. So, how do you plan on measuring the success of this project? Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, and so we really want our program to actually take off, and we want our containers to be used because, as of now, we don't see a lot of people going in and actually physically using these containers all the time and we want it to be something that we see everyone in Alexander, everyone in Delray actually using these containers and we also want to see more restaurants participating in our program. So, because the main goal is to reduce plastic waste and we can't really reduce reduce a whole lot of plastic waste unless everyone is involved. Right. So that's kind of what we want to see in the future. Yeah, and in terms of measuring success, I think it's just really seeing participating people um, actually just and and even just having someone send us send us an email and just 
them telling us that that they support us I think that's also mm-hmm. I think that also really shows us that we are in a way successful yeah. if we have support and if we have this amazing community behind us then I would say that was pretty that our project would be successful a few things to help our outreach for sure was having an article published on the topic of RTC initiative from Jennifer Powell who works for the Alexandria Gazette and so that was huge. I mean, we were just getting random emails from people that would just say, hey, re- read your article. It was great. I support you, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, you know, one thing just leads to another, you know. This is, this is, this is proof. First mm-hmm. an article, now, you know, guess on a podcast, you know. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And we just want to encourage anyone that we're really here because we want to help the environment. And so just even if anyone is listening here, just to really encourage them to help better their environment because it has to be, even though we're just doing it on a local scale, we really want the environment to improve on a global scale. So So go out there and plant some trees. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And I don't think any of us really expected it to become this big, but it just shows you that if you put a lot of time and effort into something and that if you work together with your peers and people that you aren't necessarily in close relations to, they can become great, you know? Yeah. Great ideas tend to <laughs> feed off themselves. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. If you could do anything different, what do you think you'd do? We talked about this, actually, because we had to do a final presentation just recently about the project, just summing it up, and then also there was a huge reflection part of it at the end as well. In school, yeah. And so we were talking, we were talking about it, and... We thought just starting the project earlier and then now looking back on it as well and thinking about just how many people are actually involved in the restaurants, we're really hoping to expand our marketing because we were looking back and saying maybe we should have posted more flyers and really spread the word more. And so we're definitely going to try to do that in the future and even post flyers and put up flyers in the actual restaurants too because Mm -hmm. we were talking with Mr. Blackburn, the owner of Pork Barrel, and he was saying, yeah, I think if people actually knew about the, pro- we were participating in the program, and we had a, even just a sign at the cash register, people would actually be encouraged to buy the containers more. Yeah. So we definitely want to look to that in the future, and we reflected on that as well. And I think it's been kind of eye-opening to reflect on it, because I think, at least I was thinking in the beginning, that kind of the program has to be launched, it has to be a huge hit at the beginning. And I think I've realized as we've gone through that we're really just in the beginning of stages, beginning stages, and we need to kind of not—I don't want to say manage our expectations, but know that it's going to take some time to build the program to its full potential. It's not just going to happen in the beginning. Yeah. And there will definitely be ups and downs, you know, obviously with anything. But I think we're really hopeful for the future, at least. We have a few interested restaurants outside of the Delaware community actually mm-hmm. that are interested in joining, which is very exciting. Yeah. And next year's our junior year, and we fully plan to invest the same amount of time in this program because we realized that it could actually do some good and we're all very passionate about continuing it so yeah yeah is this project you get graded on (laughs) it It was it was a classroom grade um (laughs) but you know really we don't really need a grade for it i guess it's just it's fun you know Mm -hmm. we enjoy it Thank you again for uh, your participation. It was thank great you so meeting much. you yeah, all. Thank you for reaching out to us. Yeah. It is great to see three young women in a STEM program and, and doing so well in that. So yes, we uh, encourage uh, it. That too. And go Titans. <laughs> go Titans, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are the Titans. We are the Titans. Mighty, mighty Titans. Mighty, mighty Titans.
How does the reusable takeout container initiative fit within our complex food system? I gave it a test run, so let's talk about that a little bit. First, it's time for Davey H, tech entrepreneur, to do a little mansplaining. Whenever a new technology is introduced, it follows its own life cycle. And there are as many different models of what that life cycle looks like as there are consulting companies trying to sell their own version. One I like is from Jeffrey Moore, and it's called the Technology Adoption Life Cycle. It focuses on who is buying the technology at which time. And in the earliest stage, the buyer is the technology enthusiast, the person who doesn't care how well the new technology works. They just want to play with it. And these are the people who bought the Apple Newton or still tolerate Siri. The cycle proceeds through groups of people who represent successively larger customer bases, from visionaries followed by pragmatists. And pragmatists are people who need the technology, but they also need to know it works. And then on the back of the curve, you'll find conservatives and skeptics. Conservatives have AOL email addresses, and skeptics, they use fax machines. With that background, the RTC is working with the technology enthusiasts right now, the people expecting bugs in the system. But even with bugs, the system has to work. An enthusiast will only tolerate hassle for so long. So Lee, Elspeth, and Bridget have to make sure the pieces are in place. They need supply, the physical tray, and I have one. They need support in place, and support often comes in the form of documentation. They have documentation. It's a double-sided sheet of paper that tells you how to use the tray, what restaurants accept the tray, and how to contact them and the restaurants. The documentation is minimalist and clean, just like what you'd get from your smartphone. The restaurants on board are Taqueria Poblano, a Mexican place that won the Washingtonians Magazine Award for Best Margarita. Then there's Pork Barrel Barbecue, whose founders first introduced their product on Shark Tank. And then Los Tios, a Mexican Salvadoran restaurant that thrives because our neighborhood's linked to one of Washington's largest communities from El Salvador. What's my experience using the tray? Inch by inch, yard by yard, armed only with my reusable takeout container and the accompanying documentation in case of any confusion, I head to Tacarino Poblano the first restaurant Elspeth, Bridget, and Lee attraction with. It's a small place, and I walk in the door and head to the bar. Not for the area's best margarita, but because that's where you place a takeout order. There I meet the aforementioned Jeff Wallingford, the technology enthusiast Elspeth mentioned on the restaurant side. He sees my container and automatically asks me if I'm here to pick up. He knows what this container is for. I wasn't there to pick up because I hadn't placed my order yet. By waiting around after placing the order, it gave me an opportunity to talk to him during the busy lunch hour to get his impressions. Anyway, I gave him my tray, which he took to the kitchen, and then we chat. He is a big fan of this idea. He feels there's still some work to do, and Bridget mentioned in the interview that there were two options that would pass mustard with our health department. Either the restaurant takes responsibility of the tray, where the customer does. Lee explained how they went for the latter. And at this stage, that is the low friction approach. However, 
Jeff raised the point about how that approach causes the kitchen to lose some control over its sanitation practices. Introducing a container that was sterilized outside of the restaurant adds some uncertainty. I didn't get the impression that Jeff thought this was a big barrier to future success. It's just something that needs to be worked out. The container is still a win for him if he doesn't have to supply as many of his own single-use takeout trays. Once my order was ready, Jeff came back with the container, rang me up, and duly applied the discount. I walked the six or so blocks home and my lunch of two tacos and beans was pristine and hot. It was a seamless transaction. I ran my container through the dishwasher and got it ready for its next use. My next and final test, the one that would truly christen the container as reusable, was at Pork Barrel Barbecue. I walk in the door, show my tray, and ask if the person taking my order knew what to do with this. And that was where I encountered my first kink in the system. She was perplexed. I started to pull out my documentation when another person behind the counter said, Oh yeah, let me show you how this works. He directed her to the place in the cash register to apply the discount and simply said, Use this tray instead of the usual takeout trays we use. While waiting for my order, I bent his ear, asking him what he thought. Great idea, he said. I, in an attempt to see if I could elicit any more reactions similar to Jeff's, said, I know. It seems like you guys, the restaurants, have the biggest burden in this. And he said, it really wasn't that big a deal. And that may be that Pork Barrel, with its open-air food prep area behind the counter, is less exposed than Taqueria, with a closed kitchen, where all cooking, prep, and cleaning takes place. Anyway, I got my order, which consisted of pulled chicken, collard greens, and cucumber salad, and took it home. Again, the tray kept the food from intermingling. Furthermore, it kept the cool side cool and the hot side hot, just like a McDonald's DLT, only not gross. The only flaw in the system was I didn't get the cornbread I ordered, which is a pity, because I don't usually enjoy cornbread, but pork barrels is really good. I can't blame this on the reusable takeout container, however. Apparently, Joe Pesci was wrong in Lethal Weapon 2. You can be effed even if you go to the counter. Can I give you two guys a friendly piece of advice, okay? Don't ever go up to the drive-thru, okay? Always walk up to the counter. You know what? Okay, okay, okay. Okay. They f*** you with the drive-thru, okay? They f*** you with the drive-thru. They know you're going to be miles away before you find out you got f***, okay? They know you're not going to turn around and go back. This time, I wash the tray by hand. Because it's so sturdy and doesn't have seams, it's an easy cleanup. Look, I'm someone who's launched a lot of products in his life. I gotta say, overall, this one worked really well. I'd expect many more bugs. Right, Siri? I've never really thought about it. And this brings episode number 40 of the Foodcast to a close. As always, thank you for listening. If you're new to the show and like what you heard, consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, or whatever platform you choose. If you're not new and you have a few episodes under your belt, why not leave a review? I want to thank Bridget Lee and Elspeth for taking the time to talk to us. I have all the information about what they're doing, as well as pictures of my experience with the RTC initiative and links to some of the research I cite on the show notes. Hey, if you have an idea for a topic or an interview subject you want me to meet, 
why not drop me a line? I have to say that at least half the effort in bringing the show every week is coordinating topics and guests. If you're personally acquainted with someone who you think would be a great guest, please make an introduction. And that's the limit to my begging this week. So until next time, remember what your old pal Pete Seeger always says. Mr. Thompson calls the waiter, water, steak, and baked potato. He leaves the bone and gristle, and he never eats the skin. The bus boy comes and takes it, with a cough contaminates it. Puts it in a can with coffee grounds and sardine tins. And the truck comes by on Friday and carts it all away. A thousand trucks just like it are converging on the bay. Oh, garbage, garbage, seas with garbage what will we do when there's no place left to put all the garbage mr thompson starts his cadillac winds it down the throughway track leaving friends and neighbors in a hydrocarbon haze he's joined by lots of smaller cars all sending gases to the stars there to form a seething cloud that hangs for 30 days down into it with an ultraviolet tongue turns it into smog and then it settles in our lungs oh garbage we're filling up the sky with garbage judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.